Hello, and welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Our messages are designed to help teach and equip you on your journey to lead people to follow Christ. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage you, no matter where you are on your journey towards Christ. If you have questions, want to talk, or want to learn more about Summit, visit us at summitmiles.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Summit Church. Glad that you're here. Take your Bibles turn with me to the New Testament. John's Gospel, chapter 1, is our text this morning. Um, <clears throat> I was walking up, and uh, Pastor Chuck was walking up, and I asked him, so who's preaching, you or me? I thought I, thought I was, but I thought maybe God inspired him. Um, or maybe Pastor Caleb, he was starting to get going there. How many of you like to hear Pastor Caleb preach sometimes? Well, there you have it. <laughs> so that argument I've been having in staff meeting, you just helped me win right there. But um, uh, he was sharing truth with us today from, from God's Word and ministering to us and um, used music too. But um, you'll find out with Pastor Caleb, um, a man of less words than, than me, but when he speaks, kind of the E.F. Hutton thing, you ought to listen um, because God... Uh, puts things in his head and his heart and uh, occasionally out his mouth. And uh, when he does, um, you ought to listen to that. Uh, before we start, you, John 1 is, is our text, and then <clears throat> we're going to move forward to John 11. Before we do that, though, let me show you a picture. Um, that is your new bus. So it's not new, um, but we were able to pick that up this last week. Um, and that will help us. Um, with, we have uh, ac- action for it. We've got reservation for it next uh, week already. And then uh, students, preteens, um, we're looking at some other events already that are, that are beginning to s- schedule events for the, for the use of that tool. So we're excited about that. What happens when you give? Uh, that is one of those things. Uh, we were able to complete the generator project this year. We were able to uh, to purchase that bus this year, and uh, so that those are uh, uh, we're outside of the budget kind of things, and um, we're grateful for that. So that's what happens when you give. Pretty excited about it. Um, that's not the most the, the thing that I'm most excited about from this past week. Last Sunday morning, after um, one of our services, uh, a lady prayed and accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. That's good news. And that's not the only thing I'm excited about. This morning, before service, a dad in our church led his preteen son to Christ. So that happened this morning. Those are the the exciting things that that God is doing. Good to be a part of um, what God is doing. Uh, Let me just invite you again, though, to, I think it's next Sunday, um, in the afternoon, 4 o'clock, we're having a congregational meeting. There's some things we need to do. We need to approve a budget. We need to appoint some elders. All that will happen. But we want to share some of the miracles of this last year, some of the things that God has, has done, uh, the, the big things, and share with you the people that have accepted Christ. And um, So I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the unfathomable doctrine, the, the truth that 
an eternal Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. It's the very heart of the Christian faith that, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. He came to earth to live a life, to die a death, to be raised again so that we would have a hope. God is with us. John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, tell us the story. It's a story of hope. It's a story of hope. In the coming weeks of Advent and leading up to Christmas, the Christmas season, we're looking at the God of hope. And, and you may you say, well, we need hope. If you looked at 2022, you may say, well, it's been kind of a different year. Um, inflation is, is rising. Uh, a significant war was started between Ukraine and Russia. Several uh, was started by Russia in Ukraine. A significant um, um, number of world leaders have passed away. Political tensions are high. And yet, through all this, the, the kingdom of God remains a firm foundation um, for anyone who is in, in Christ Jesus. And so, all of that doesn't stop some from falling into a time of worry in a time of fear for what's to come. In fact, according to a recent study by Barna, 40% of young people between the ages of 18 and 35, uh, 40% of that group believe uh, they, they are fearful and they feel uncertain about the future. There's a tremendous amount of anxiety in, in our world about the events of, of the world. What what is coming with the tomorrows? To compound matters, the annual end-of-the-year holidays are on the horizon. The American Psychological Association consistently reports spikes in anxiety and depression around these times. The Bible lets us know that tomorrow will have enough worry for, for itself. And so, We've, we have been equipped to cope with these issues through God who is with us. The good news is that Jesus came to bring hope to all who are hurting, to all who are lost. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas is that Christ has come into the world, that a Savior has been born to you. It's good news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And do, you know where, do you know where God is when the world is falling apart? He's right next to you. Do you know where God is when you lose somebody that you love? He's by our side. Do you know where God is when we're wounded and we are experiencing pain? He, he's by our side. When, when we're lonely, when we're discouraged, when we're, we're worried, God is with us. That's, that's the miracle of Christmas, that God is with us. Emmanuel means God is with us. At our highest highs and our lowest lows, there's, a never, there's never a moment when God leaves us or forsakes us. In fact, before he ascended into heaven, he looked at his disciples and he said, listen, you tarry in Jerusalem, wait for the promised Holy Spirit. But he said, I'm going to be with you always to the very ends of the age. And so we can count on it that God is with us. But so many people struggle to recognize that he's there, especially in painful situations. To know and experience his presence in our daily lives is to know true peace. 
Now I want you to see here in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, notice verse 9. Here's what it says. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So God came into a dark world, and darkness does not dim the light. But light punches holes in the darkness, right? And he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed, who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth that results from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became flesh, became human, and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. We celebrated Christmas, the Christ of Christmas. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Galatians chapter 4. He said, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. You see, the Christmas story is a story of hope. Luke 2, verse 10 and 11, talks about that good news of great joy. A Savior, a Messiah has been born. The reason for, Christian, Christmas, uh, for, for a Christian's hope is the story of Christmas. We're not alone. We, have a, we don't have a Savior who is unable to empathize with our weakness or our experiences. We, you see that God, God, He sees all of our problems in the world, including yours. And He sent Christ at Christmas to give us hope the message of hope. There, there are two found, found, foundational verses that um, we're going to be talking about each week, and we're focusing during this Christmas season and throughout next year. Next year, our, our emphasis is on uh, the, the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives and the things that we're seeing Him doing. So the, the dot, um, authentic demonstrations of, of the power of God and this verse, Romans 15, verse 13, talks about it, that this God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 5, 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. And so some people say, well, listen, this is a series of messages at the end of the year. I'm going to say this is a series of messages that are starting off a year. <laughs> um, this, we're beginning our year of, of, of understanding God's presence with us. And Christ came to earth at Christmas, and we celebrate His, his life. He, he walked on this earth, third rock from the sun, right? <clears throat> he actually walked on this earth. And, and yet, after He accomplished His his Father's will of, of paying the price for our sin. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm going to need my water before long. <coughs> Just wanted to see my wife up close and personal. <laughs> Bless you, dear. <clears throat> 
she was sick and she shared. <clears throat> yeah, never mind. Um, <clears throat> thank you. He, Christ came and he, 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 he lived on this earth. But then remember, he went into heaven. And before he ascended, he said, <clears throat> you, you wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. He said, and remember this, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. We have this blessed hope of the presence of God. And what we're celebrating at Christmas is the fact that God showed up in human form. We're dealing with, in a sense, with God's presence on earth in an already and not yet scenario. You see, when he came the first time, he came as a child. He lived his life. He paid the price for sin. He, he, he made atonement for our sin. He, he died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's coming again. The next time, not as a child, but as a king to rule the world. And so this presence of God with us, God showing up, he was here already, it's an already, and yet we're waiting again for his, his, his return to earth. And in, in the meantime, that's where he said, you're not orphans. <laughs> he said, you know, you are my children and I've given you my Holy Spirit. The presence of God is, is with us. But Christmas was God's plan to redeem humanity. He came to the world to make right what was wrong. He, ultimately, he came to end suffering. And again, that is a someday event. Scripture talks about uh, heaven where there'll be no more death and no more mourning and no more crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making all things new. Not making all new things, but he said, I'm making all things new. He came to end suffering, and so we know that there's suffering in the world today, but <clears throat> that will, you know, he, he has come to save us from our sin, the suffering of sin, the, the, the um, slavery to sin. He has come to save us from that, although you, know, you and I will know well that there's suffering that is going on in our world, but ultimately he has set in plan um, to, to come again, and his presence, it's, it, it is the ultimate end to suffering. Notice that he also came to deal with the source of suffering, and that is the whole issue of sin, to make a way for sinful human beings to have a relationship with God. Sin separated us from God. It ruined the world that God created. Pain and suffering in this world is the result of sin. The good news is that at the first Christmas, Christ came to offer a way to deal with sin. And because he offered a way to deal with sin... We know that the, the, the ultimate end of that is being redeemed, not only in this life, but in the life to come, and that puts an end to suffering. And notice he also came to offer himself to you. The God of the universe, born of a virgin, wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, came to identify with you, to have a relationship with you, the God of hope. You see, when... The Son of God came to earth over 2,000 years ago. And look, folks, again, that, that is a fact that is sometimes lost on us. That God in flesh appeared on this earth. He walked on the earth that you and I live in, or are living on. He, he was here. He, he, he walked on this earth. It happened. He was fully God and fully human. It means that he took on humanity. He experienced everything that there was to be a human. You can completely identify with, with human beings because he went through it. 
The gospel deals with his very real life. Plain and simple, Jesus understands our humanity, what it is like to live as a human being in a world that has fallen. He got hungry, he got thirsty, he slept, he was taught, he grew, he loved, he was glad, he was angry, he was troubled at times, he prayed, he was hurt, he exercised faith, he read scriptures, he hurt when he saw another person's illness, he cried when he saw another person's death. You see, his identity with us, Jesus knows what it means to be poor and hungry and homeless. He knows what it is to be weary. He knows what it is to be betrayed. He knows what it is to experience grief. He knows what it is to to be tempted. He knows what it is to suffer pain in this world. He he knows what it is to, to be forsaken. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What massive hope and comfort is ours to know that the Christian faith introduces this beautiful truth in the world, the fact that we have a God who hurts with us and cares about us and can identify with us from a first-hand experience, and we have an understanding God that we can run to in a time of need. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. When God shows up. Now, let me just move quickly to another question that may have already jumped into your mind about God showing up. Here's a practical question that has to do with, I think, where we live. What do you do, what do, you do when God doesn't show up? Turn with me forward in John's Gospel to chapter 11. It's the story of <clears throat> Mary and Martha. It's, it talks about the death of Lazarus, but it's maybe less about Lazarus and more about the situation that Mary and Martha were in. You see, a certain man was sick. Do you see it? Chapter 11, verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, her sister Martha. This Mary was the... Um, was, whose brother Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord, wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, what is interesting is John, um, John who said of himself, uh, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved was, was John. He's talking about now Lazarus, you know, who, who was loved, Notice in verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, this is puzzling. Verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, we understand that, <clears throat> that God loved them. Um, and from John 3, we understand that God loves the world. So God so loved the world. And you're part of the world. God so loved you. God so loved Mary. God so loved Martha. God so loved ne- um, um, Lazarus. Watch this. God loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, verse 6. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, 
He stayed where he was two more days. What do you do when God doesn't show up? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So, a certain man was sick. By the way, his name is, is, it was Lazarus. It's in, it came from a, the Greek root, Eleazar, which literally means God is my help. So here's, here's a man whose name comes from Eleazar, meaning God is my help, and God didn't show up. I mean, Christ didn't show up. And he died. <laughs> Sick unto death. And Mary and Martha didn't tell Jesus to come. They, they didn't feel like they needed to. The one you love is sick. What do you expect a loving father to do? <laughs> a loving God would, would show up. Wouldn't he show up? They knew that Jesus loved Nazareth, Nazareth Lazarus, and he, and he loved them. He knew that they knew that he, he met the needs of others. They, they didn't doubt he would meet theirs too. They simply told Jesus their brother was sick. There was a great need. You'll know what to do. Yeah, but if you read Scripture, you, you clearly see that he, he loved them. But when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days where he was. So what do you make of that? Is the love of Jesus a scandalous fraud? He loved them, but not enough to show up. The love of Jesus does not spare us from the stuff of life. Evil still persists in a world turned over to Satan in spite of the fact that Christ defeated him on the cross and in the grave. Now, even if you and I don't like it or understand it, Scripture makes it clear that the devil, Satan, is currently the god of this age. Jesus Christ himself shortly before his arrest and crucifixion, acknowledged Satan's authority. You see this in John 14. He says, I will no longer talk much with you. Watch this. The ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. Scripture describes the situation like this in Ephesians. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. You see, there's the, the, the prince of the power of the air. But watch this. It, it is because of Jesus Christ that Satan's rule on earth will soon end. And that's why the devil is called the god of this age. He's not the god of forever. He's, he's the god of this age. An age is coming when Christ Jesus will replace Satan as the ruler of this world. We call that time the millennium where he sets up a thousand-year reign. The Prince of Peace returns to set up his government over the nations. Satan's rule, it will end. John chapter 12, verse 31 says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Right? Remember, the love and the light of God is not made less or dimmed by evil or darkness. And so the light has come, and, and, and Christ is coming to this world. He's punching holes in the darkness. But Mary, Martha, they knew that God loved them, and that, he, that, that Christ loved their brother. The gospel writer reminds them of all that. The disciple who Jesus loved. But Jesus didn't show up to save Lazarus from dying, and he died. 
Emmanuel means God is with us, but what happens when God doesn't show up? Remember this truth. For Mary and Martha, the pain they were experiencing was not a denial of the love of God. The pain they were experiencing was not a denial of the love of God. Jesus knew Lazarus would face death. He foresaw it from the beginning of time. It seems strange to us that Jesus didn't immediately act on that great need. It seems strange to us that Jesus didn't show up in time to save Lazarus. That delay may have been puzzling to the disciples, maybe more than puzzling to Mary and Martha. In fact, it wasn't puzzling. It was agonizing pain. Pain. What Jesus did and did not do, no matter how you look at it, resulted in pain for Mary and Martha. By the time Jesus shows up at the grave, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Can you agree with me, though, that delays are not denials? Delays are not denials. However, they may cause us to endure pain for a season. John tells the story of how Jesus, after two days, and at a great cost to his safety, finally makes it to Bethany. It's a little town just outside of Jerusalem, um, a couple of miles from Jerusalem. Why was it dangerous? Well, <clears throat> Judea was a dangerous place for Jesus because of opposition from the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They were already planning to, um, for his demise. He was a wanted man. And without regard for his own well-being, he came to seek and save and serve those <laughs> whom he loved. And in this case, again, he was coming to minister to Mary and Martha. Interesting, Thomas, in this passage of Scripture, kind of speaks up, and he, and he talks about this. Notice in verse 16, Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us all go that we may die with him. He, he understood the danger of, of what they were heading into when they went to Bethany near Jerusalem, where Jesus would, would, would have a, um, the scrutiny and um, the accusations of the religious leaders. Uh, Thomas, interesting, his name literally means twin. In fact, um, those who were writing about this time say that Thomas was um, often mistaken for Jesus. He looked, he looked like Jesus. Interesting, his name is Thomas, meaning twin, looked like Jesus. Um, by the way, isn't that, as a side note, isn't that something that we're all seeking for? to look like Jesus, to be more like Jesus. But if you look like Jesus, it may make you more of a potential target for persecution. Thomas speaks up in verse 16. He said, yeah, let's, let's also go. We'll go with Jesus to Bethany near Jerusalem where all the religious leaders are, where the opposition's coming so that we may die with him. Have you ever been in a situation where life seemed better than, where death seemed better than life? I hope you don't miss the gravity of the situation here. It was dire. It was, there was despair. And here's Thomas. Remember doubting Thomas? Lord, I'm not going to believe that you're the risen until I see your hands. Let me see your hands inside. Let me see the scars. Is this really, are you really resurrected? Doubting Thomas, the pessimist of the group, assuming, summing up the situation for the rest. Yeah, Thomas, we get it. It's not good. Let's go with Jesus. We're going to die with him. Jesus gets to Bethany. He's confronted by many of the Jews and Martha 
and we hear these words from a hurting soul. Look at verse 21. Lord, if only you had been here. We're celebrating God with us, Emmanuel, God with us. And Mary looks at him, or Martha looks at him and says, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mary so stricken with, and Mar, Mary, that was Martha's response. Mary was so stricken with grief, she couldn't even get out of the house. She was unable to cope. By the way, that's not an uncommon situation we find ourselves in when experiencing deep pain. You see, pain can shackle you to your past and make you unmovable. And so you want to hide. You want to escape the pain you, and, and, and seeing other people and she, was, she stayed in the house. Deep pain can cause you to never move on from the point of impacting pain. Deep pain tends to make a person stop enjoying the greater things in life. Deep pain was on display in Mary. She was frozen in time. From then on, everything that she was experiencing in life would be measured against her pain. Do you remember where you were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated? About a third of you might. Some of you, most of you weren't born by then. Where were you when the, when the planes hit the tower? Here's my life after my brother died. Here is this experience, you see. Maybe you can identify with Mary and Martha I give it to Martha. She expressed her disappointment in Jesus. How could you? You didn't show up when we needed you the most. Martha believed that her, her pain was, was greater than God's compassion. How, how could you? Why, why would you? Why would you do this? Martha was trying to trust Jesus despite her disappointment of how things worked out for her in her life. Verse 22, Martha said, I give it to her. Bless her heart. She said, even now. Now, I'm not sure that there are two more powerful words in the story than even now. Even now. Now, think about that for a moment. A little later, Jesus is going to say, come out. And Lazarus walks out of the grave. I think more powerful than the words come out are the words even now. Here's a lady whose brother has died and she's dying inside. She's, she, she asked, she, she knew God was caring and compassion. She said, she told him about her great need. My brother is sick. The one whom you love is sick. You love us. And, and Jesus didn't show up. And yet she turns and looks at him and says, even now. Even now. Even now with all I've experienced, the pain that I'm living through, which may have been a worse experience for Mary and Martha than death was for Lazarus. Even now, Lord, her only hope of seeing Lazarus was linked to her understanding of the resurrection. And so she's saying, Lord, even now, and the Lord is telling her about the resurrection to come, and she goes, I understand. My brother has died. I'm never going to see him again on this earth. But I know that I will see him. Even with all of that, even now, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you because I understand the resurrection and that you're going to resurrect his body someday and I'll see him forever in eternity. Even now, those are powerful words of faith. Even now, in the middle of her pain, you know, Martha, she gets the bad rap sometimes. She's the one that, you know, was upset because another time Jesus is talking to the sisters and Mary's out 
you know, sitting at his feet listening. She's taking care of, you know, making every sure everything's ready. And I'll tell you what. Um, I admire Martha's faith, even now. She affirmed her faith in Jesus. Verse 27, I have always believed. I have always believed. But there's very little consolation from the fact of this distant reality, even if it was heaven. She goes, what about my pain right now? I'm hurting right now. I, I know heaven is my home, and I know Lazarus is there, and someday I'll see him again, but I'm hurting right now. She needed a hope a little closer to home, a little closer to her situation. Even now, even now, even now, I can't get over the pain and the faith that is bound up in those two words. Maybe you can identify with Martha. Even now that I've experienced the death of a loved one. Even now that I've had my innocence stolen. Even now that I've been betrayed by a friend. Even now that I don't think anyone could imagine the pain that I have experienced in my life. Even now that the beauty of my life has been trampled by those who were supposed to love and protect me and didn't. Even now, when I think about it, I don't even have any words. I've got no words to describe, to express what I've been through, even now. Martha turns from interaction with Jesus, and she goes to get Mary, who's, who's parked in the house. She tells Mary, Jesus is here. <laughs> and the fact that Martha tells Mary, notice in verse 28, she goes, the teacher is here, and he wants to see you. Can you find some hope in that? The teacher is here, and he wants to see you. In a blessing, the ironic blessing that we talk about at the end of the services many times, we talk about the, may the Lord, you know, his face shine upon you, that he may see you. Martha goes to Mary and he goes, listen, the teacher's here and he wants to see. I, I'm, not, I'm not making you up. It's right there in Scripture. Jesus wants to see Mary. And can I say this to you? That Jesus wants to see you. He's looking for you. His eyes are watching. Don't even think for a moment that the pain that you've had in your life has gone unnoticed by God. The world may not see it, but God did. So again, there's that trouble that we have sometimes. So listen, how could you, God? What do you do when God doesn't show up? If you saw this, God, why didn't you stop it? Well, Jesus wants to see Mary. Jesus wants to see you. You see, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. Psalm 103. Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears attentive to their cry. Scripture paints a clear picture of your value, your importance to God. Psalm 33, 13, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. Psalm 102, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> 102, 19, the Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. One of the names of God in Hebrew is the, is the name El Roy, which literally means God saw me. God saw me. The God who sees me. Mary runs to see Jesus. Oh, the teacher's here. He wants to see you. So she runs to see him. And notice verse 32. Her question, 
If only you had been here. If only you had been here. <clears throat> they moved to the tomb. Lazarus has been buried. John 35 records this powerful saying, Jesus wept. Those words, <clears throat> I think the two most powerful words in this passage are even now. And I think the second two most powerful words in this passage are Jesus wept. He's yet to say, come out. Those are powerful words. But notice the words, Jesus wept. Those standing around who saw the situation unfold said, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Um, people say that, those kinds of things, when with faced with the difficulties of life that Mary and Martha were facing. There's, there seems like no reason why this had to go down like this. In our local community, we hear of tragedy, loss of life. Very recently, again, in our community. So why does it have to go down like that? There's no reason all this had to go like that. There's no explanation that will suffice the situation. There's no spiritual platitudes that placate the problems that I'm facing. Human eyes look at pain in life, and there are no words that matter at the moment. Spiritual jingles hurt more than they help because they just don't ring true to the moment. Simple answers to complex problems fall on deaf ears, they tend to poke more holes in one's heart. I want you to hear the compassion in those words. Jesus wept. God in the flesh wept over that pain. The Savior of our souls weeps over our sadness. Those words in Scripture transform our situation. See how much he loved him. We need to know that Jesus cares, that he loves, that he, that he knows. When nobody else could possibly know or love or care, Jesus does. He's with us. Different words for weeping in the Greek. The weeping described, the word that is used for the weeping of the people was a wailing. The weeping that is used here of Jesus is a, is a quiet weeping. He wept. He shared in the grief of those who mourn. And yet, like any other, God was able to do something about their grief. Many aspects to this word, Jesus wept. He was, you see his humanity. His, you see that he was acquainted with grief. He can identify with others in their sorrow. He was not ashamed of his humanity. There's no sin or shame in tears. You see the fact that he loves people. Things move God. He dignifies the tears of those who weep. Abraham wept when he lost Sarah. Jacob wept when he wrestled the angel. David and Jonathan wept together over the plight that they were in with King Saul. Hezekiah wept over his sickness. Josiah wept over the sin of the nation. Jeremiah was described as the weeping prophet. William Barclay, a, commentary, a commentator, said this. He explains that, that, that the mind of the ancient Greek a primary characteristic of God was that he was apathetic. Total inability to feel emotion whatsoever. The Greeks believed in an isolated, passionless 
compassionless God. That's not the God of the Bible. A God who is really there. These powerful words. Jesus wept. God so loved the world, John 3.16 said. Luke's Gospel, 19, verses 41-42. He approached Jerusalem. He saw the city. He wept over Jerusalem. He was weeping over the fact that even though their eyes had seen, their eyes didn't see who he was. There's a song we used to sing, Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you and me. So there is that. (laughs) This passage of Scripture, Jesus weeping over souls. But notice here in John 11.35, he's weeping over our sadness. How foolish it is to think that one miracle is more difficult than another. Someone said, well, this man, he healed blind people. Couldn't he have just kept Lazarus from dying? (laughs) Folks, we may never know in this life why God does one thing one time and he does not do that same thing the next. And here's the one thing that I've learned over the years. I do not have the right responsibility to try and explain all the actions of God. I just don't know. Isaiah 55 says, you know, your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. Yep, i got to tell you, that's the best answer I have. I just don't know. There's sometimes I do not know. Could God have easily shown up and saved Lazarus? Sure he could have. Just as easy as healing a blind man, of course. Why didn't he? Well, he explains a little bit for God's glory, but when you're the person in the middle of the pain, that is not a good answer. I'm going through this, so God gets glory? Do I like that, God? But notice, Jesus didn't work a miracle that kept them from experiencing pain. But after the pain was already there, he did roll the stone away. He can heal our pain post-injury. Jesus may not work a miracle to change the situation that caused you pain, but he can still work a miracle to heal your pain. Lazarus, come out. (laughs) Jesus said, "I've, I've had enough of this situation. Time for a change. How about you? Are you ready for a change? The holdup on change, by the way, often is seldom a Christ problem. Now, sometimes it is. He, he delayed two days in coming. In fact, John eleven thirty three records some anger expressed by Christ over the people's response. Jesus saw her weeping, saw the other people wailing with her. A deep anger welled up within him. He was deeply troubled. The response of Jesus comes from a phrase in, in Greek that, that literally means to snort like a horse. The idea here is that this, this feelings of indignation and havoc. So Jesus has said, I, I've, these people are wailing, they're, they're grieving. There's this pain in their life. And, it, and it's almost like there's, this, there's something in Jesus that says, listen, enough of that. I don't know about you, but if you've cared about someone and you've watched them hurt, 
at some point, it can fire you up. People ask me from time to time, what are the burdens? How can we pray for you? What are the burdens of a pastor? You think about all the stuff we do. So listen, it's just, it's just there's, there's nothing all that big a deal to this whole thing, being a pastor. Not all that big a deal. Except for this part. You know the part that gets me? The part that sets on my shoulders. Besides reverential fear of God to say, listen, you're supposed to tell people um, what I've told you, what God's Word says. And if you don't, you know, you're going to be held responsible for that. But the other thing is to watch your people suffer. That sits on a soul. Jesus, he saw, these people are wailing. They're losing it. And since he snorted like a horse, I've had enough of this. <laughs> I identify with that. Maybe you do too, because you've seen people who have hurt. And it's affected their life, and it's affected your life. And it makes you want to snort like a horse. Jesus is troubled by the destruction and the power of Satan against humanity. <clears throat> I've got to tell you, it makes me mad. I get angry over what Satan does to people. It ticks me off. It's not my job to fix, because I can't fix it. But I can point to the one who can. And by the way, that's the thing that over the years I've had to learn, and you have to learn, is to cast your cares on him, because he cares for you. We, there are burdens in this life that are too great to carry. And so you roll them over into a, a place where you, you, you cast them on the Lord. He was not content to be a spectator. This doesn't need to be like this. Maybe it's a mess at this time, but a miracle of healing grace is reality because he's there. Now watch. God rolled the stone away. But, I mean, that's just ridiculous um, connection. Here we are, Christmas, talking about the birth of Christ, and rolling the stone away takes me directly to Easter, what Christ has done, where he, he, he rolled the stone away. He defeated death and hell and the grave and conquered, you know, the, paid the price, the atonement for sin, did all that, and he rolled the stone away. Um, he rolled the stone away from the curse of death because of sin. He can roll the stone away from your darkest time in life. Father, thank you for hearing me, he said in verse 41. You always hear me. The application of this passage, they just keep, keep coming. Everyone hears, when you cry for help, he hears you. So listen, you didn't hear me, you didn't show up. He hears. Why does he sometimes answer one way and he doesn't? I, have no, I do not know. But he heard you. Then he hears you now. And the point of today, in spite of great grief, undeniable grief, grief to the point of death, 
for Lazarus. Death to the point of seemingly a loss of hope for Mary and Martha. Death of a dream. Death of a life that they'd imagined. Death of the beauty of a relationship. Now all run amok. Their lives shattered. Seemingly gone. No hope left. Left was buried in the world. But their grief is comforted. Life is restored. Hope was restored. Not like they imagined. Not in a normal way, but in a way that proves that God cares, that God is with us. Unwrap him and let him go. (laughs) Unwrap him. Um, Let him go. What's interesting is Jesus, he he told them, Lazarus, come out. Here comes Lazarus. An indication he's, he's been wrapped up like a mummified. I mean, he's got cloths wrapped around him. Not modern day embalming techniques. And he comes walking and I said, listen, unwrap him. Here's, here's the point of that. Um, one, God can step in after a mess and free you from your past. Lord, he stinks already. <laughs> yeah, well, you might be in a stinking mess too. But God can step in after a mess and he can free you from your past so that once what confines you no longer defines you. What confines you no longer defines you. And he comes out and, by the way, Lazarus was not resurrected. He was resuscitated. Here's the point of the difference. Christ, when he came out of the grave, was resurrected. Resurrected has to do, when a person is resurrected, we talk about the resurrection of the saints. When Christ was resurrected, the idea of resurrection is into a new eternal body. Lazarus was resuscitated. He, he, life, you know, there were several places in Scripture where, where the miracles of Jesus, they resuscitated life was, was brought into a dead body, but that body was still an earthly body and, and, and was subject to decay and died again. A resurrected body lives for eternity. <laughs> Jesus said, unwrap him, let him go. You know what I see in that? Jesus said, I, I did what I, I can do, but you do what you can do. You unwrap him. He asked the people to do what they could do. Work in cooperation with God, with God as will. Lazarus was raised to life, but he was still bound with the garments of death. Can I say this to you? God won't do for you what you can do for you. Just the same way I think what Christians can do for sinners, they must not expect the Lord to do. You just stop there long enough and apply this. You know, there's a, there's a lost and dying world, and it's the Spirit of God. Because how would someone know, how will someone come to Christ unless the Spirit of God draws them? But how will they be drawn unless they hear? So listen, I have an unsaved family. I've got unsaved relatives. I've got uh, unsaved neighbors, people I work with. Um, God, I'm going to sit here and pray that, that you save them. Don't ask God to do for them what, you, what he wants you to do for them. You witness. You tell them about the love of God. God will use that to is His Spirit um, to, to draw them in. You unwrap Him. You set Him free. <clears throat> Finally, and then I need to close. In life, if you are waiting for fair in this life, Um, life is not fair. If you're waiting for fair, I need to tell you that that's for eternity, not for earth. 
life isn't fair, but God is good. Psalm 71, in you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me, deliver me, turn your ear to me, save me, be my rock of salvation to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel, for you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him. Seize him. For no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. Now watch this. Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. You will increase my honor. Comfort me once more. There are times that God steps in. Could he heal Lazarus in a moment? Showed up? Sure. What do you do when he doesn't? Even in the middle of your pain, God may not change the problem, but he can still deal with your pain because God is with us. He understands. I'm going to invite the team to come. They're going to lead us in our last song. Let me close with this illustration. There's a song entitled Scars in Heaven. Casting Crowns sings that song. The words go like this. I know the road you've walked was anything but easy. And you picked up your share of scars along the way. But the verse reminds the weary traveler in the road of faith the only scars in heaven won't belong to you and me. There'll be no such thing as broken, and all the old will be made new. The thought that makes me smile now, even as the tears fall down, is that the only scars in heaven are in the hands that hold you now. The miracle of Christmas is that God is with us. He is for us. He is the God of hope. The good news is that Jesus came to bring hope to all who are hurting or lost. Jesus Christ, he is the hope for all. This morning, we're celebrating Christ coming to earth and dying on the cross, paying the price for our sin. We're, We're celebrating the fact that by his stripes we are healed. He came to us. By the way, you do know that that makes Christianity unique. That we have a Savior who laid down his life for us. We don't serve a God who said, listen, come sacrifice. You make the sacrifice for me. 
He said, I'll make the sacrifice for you. He paid the price. And so this morning, we're going to celebrate God coming to earth and what he did, that he paid the price for our sin. So communion. Um, there's bread. There's, there's grape juice, the symbols of his body and his blood being broken and shed for us. And in a few moments, um, we'll partake of that together. How we'll do that this morning is uh, there will be people that are standing here waiting to serve you, invite you simply to respond this morning, uh, to leave your, your pew, probably um, out your left side and come back in uh, on the right um, and, and, and come to the front and receive um, the bread, receive the, the cup, the grape juice, and then just go back and sit down in your seat and wait till everyone's served and we'll all eat together and we'll drink together. You don't need to be a member of this church. If you're a part of the family of God, you're invited to come. Communion is for all. Union. Communion together. And this one thing. There's a warning in Scripture that we shouldn't come and eat and drink unworthy manner. But let me ask you this question. Who among you here today is perfect in every way? None? Okay. You're right. If absolute perfection was demanded for us to come and to the table of grace, forget it. If, you're, if, if there's something that you need to make right in your heart, while, while you're sitting there before you come or after you come, um, make that right with God. If there's someone you need to talk to, do that. Don't eat or drink in an unworthy manner. But this is a table of grace that God is with us. We're all human beings on a journey. We struggle with stuff, and, um, and he is here for us. The ultimate example of Christ laying down his life for us. So in these next moments, Pastor Caleb is going to be leading us in a song. As you come and, and are served, um, take the elements back, hold them, we'll eat and drink together. There's uh, places for you to come in each section. So I'm going to ask those who are serving to, to move to those locations. And Pastor Caleb's going to lead us in a song and let the presence and peace of God give you hope. Thank you for joining us for this message from the Summit Church Podcast. Again, if you have questions, visit us at summitniles.com. Now go and be the church in the world.